Hi, my name is Kyle. Hi, my name is Kyle. Hi, Kyle. Um, I guess I went to Alateen like 2010, early 2009, or late 2009. Um, it pretty much started out when I was about probably around seven when I when we used to live in our uh, well th fourth house I lived in, but um, it would either be uh, like one night. Uh, you'd hear from the upstairs yelling, and then it would stop after 10 minutes. The next night, you would, um, the next night she wouldn't be there. Um, then the other, then about two weeks later, she'd come back. Then there would be yelling again. And then after that, it stopped for a while. And then when we moved into our other, our, our new house, um, after about about six months of living there, her parents moved in. My dad's girlfriend, her ex-girlfriend's parents moved in. Her parent and her daughter moved in, and they um, basically they just stayed in the room all day, did nothing. Um, They're basically like leeches. Just used just used my dad for the money. Didn't really care about about anybody. Um, they pretty much thrashed the house, yelling every month, or at least twice or three times a month. Then there would be, um, then they wouldn't act right because they were on drugs or some other stuff like that. Her daughter lived with us, and then her boyfriend would, or my dad's parents' daughter, she, her boyfriend came over and they'd be yelling about that. Then he used to sit in the garage and smoke pot or either steal stuff out of the garage or steal saws, tools, parts. Um, then after that, they, after that, they, and then after that, they pretty much, um, then after that, uh, my dad's ex-girlfriend got out of jail and she moved in with us. Then after about a week, it was calm there, and then after about a week, it was yelling again. There would be about yelling every single night after work. Then in the summer, I used to go with my dad to work, and then we'd always get phone calls or come home, I need you now, or something like that. And then, um, then this went on for about a year or two in that house. They were, they seemed like real nice people, but they were only nice when they got their way or money or they got, because all they did is use us for a place to live and then I would see, um, then my dad's ex-girlfriend would go over to uh, her sister's house and then she'd come back all messed up and one day, um, one day like I came home from school and then I walked in the house. There was like chocolate everywhere on the walls because I guess she was higher or higher blackout. There was chocolate on the walls. I fell into the garage. There was chocolate all over the sand rail, and then you find then it was on the couch or anything. It was sort of weird. Um, but then after that, it was about another three months before she moved out because they stole a bunch of money from us. After that. And then my dad kicked him out. Then she came back about probably after that summer. She came back for about six for about six months. And then stuff started going missing. My sisters were yelling. Um, then they basically and then her her mom did not move back in or her sister just her, but. She was there for about six months, and she stole. She st she still did all the same stuff, and then she moved out for about three months, and then she came back and stayed there for another three months. Then she moved out again, did all the same stuff. Um, then this last time, uh, she got out of jail, if I remember right, and came back for like two months. 
she was being a pain. She didn't really do anything around the house to help out, nothing. Um, on the boat, she was just a pain with her son. Her son wouldn't do anything on the boat, didn't care. Didn't help clean up, didn't help do anything. He went in the house, like, for about, he probably, he probably washed half just the hood of the boat and went back in the house and I didn't see him after that because he said I was too tired to do anything and I, then after that it was about two weeks later after the boat trip and then she, um, she, I guess after she got her car, she shoplifted from Walmart, or not Walmart, uh, Kmart and got arrested and now she's in prison I think right now and um, well, actually, I forgot part of the story. Uh, is my other part is when I was in fifth grade, my sister we were driving up to Lancaster to get a golden retriever that day, and she blacked out and we dropped off a 20-foot cliff and hit a cobra pipe. My sister's face was uh, she had plastic surgery on her whole face. Um, her back was broken. Me, I got out of the car because this one guy behind us pulled over and let us use his phone. Thank God for the OnStar, there would be like no one there. Because it was in the middle of Sand Canyon driving to Acton. We were just going past Acton. And I got out of the car, walked up the hill, sat on the guy's truck bed for like 30 minutes till the ambulance came. They put us in an ambulance. And um, watching my sister blacked out over probably her pills and stuff like that and then she um then after that uh for about a year no one really knew what ha really happened then the truth came out at first she said she dropped her ipod in the car but she never brought her ipod with her so there's no possibility of that but um then after that when we were in children's hospital um I remember sitting there for about three hours in the bed, couldn't sleep. My sister was screaming next to me because her spine was completely twisted. So now she has metal rods about probably about six to eight inches in her back. And then the nurse came in, told her to shut up. And then my dad came in and almost got kicked out of the hospital after that. And, um,. <laughs> And after that, I got I got released that day. I don't know what really happened after that. I don't remember walking to the car. I stayed up in my, I stayed up at my aunt's house for like probably about a month or two up there. So I got a month or two off of school, which was pretty cool. But <laughs> then, um, but I didn't talk to my sister for that whole two months. So I was there. Um, then after that. Uh, I don't know if she was drunk that night, but she was driving my dad's Alexis, and somehow the key got smashed, and they couldn't get the car started. So then somehow she put the key back together barely and got her home, and that was about it. Then after that, she got her truck, and then after that, the F-150 that she got, uh, after my dad lifted it all about a month later, she wasn't making the payments on it, so it got repoed, picked up. Um, I guess when I wasn't there, I was at my aunt's house. Um, she, I guess what the story said, uh, she woke up. Well, she, she, she thought she was dreaming. She woke up because it was like 1 o'clock at night. My the guy knocked on the door. My dad answered. She woke up and went outside. And the next day, I guess she thought it was a dream. Then reality hit her. Then now she has two kids lives with her boyfriend which is an alcoholic um, she probably still does pills and stuff like that but um, my other sister she smokes pot but not now since she's pregnant I guess but that's about it Josie. Hi, I am a grateful member of Al-Anon. Um, what was it like before? 
um, chaotic, um, completely just crazy, just crazy. I uh, alcoholism ran in my family, and then uh, I married it, and then my son became one. So if I'd have known what I know, how do you say it? If I'd have known then what I know now, maybe things would have been different, but I don't think so. You know, it's just the way the chips, I guess, were. Um, when I was young, my dad was my first qualifier, and he was very angry. He never hit any of us. He was just really angry. And uh, my mom said we were all going to move. We were going to move to Nebraska. We were going to get away from my dad. And I can remember being nine years old thinking, what's in Nebraska? <laughs> my mom goes, that's where I was born and raised. Well, why did you move out here if it was so fun over there? Why are we here? Because, well, we're going to go back there because we've got to get away from your dad because he drinks too much. But see, I didn't know the difference. I just somehow thought that was normal. You know, when we were all dumping the trash, my mom, shh, because you could hear the thing going, <laughs> dang, we all, I mean, my dad drank all that, but that was fun, you know. I could remember hearing the, <laughs> and my mom going, no, that is, n it's not normal. Well, it was normal to us because of what's, what we were raised with. So then my dad decided he didn't want us to move to Nebraska, that he was going to get sober. So he got sober, and, uh, I couldn't remember if I liked him being drunk or if I liked him being sober because now I was dealt with a guy that I didn't know. You know, I was, wow, you know, he wants to be part of my life. What does that mean? He wasn't even part of my life before, and I wants to go to the school, check my grades out. I didn't know whether I liked him or not. You know, my dad is sober 35 years today, and I have a wonderful relationship with my father. I mean, I, I love my dad. Then, after my dad became sober, my brother picked up where my dad left off. He kicked it up a little differently, though. You know, he went from drinking to drugs. Um, he almost overdosed. He took rat poison. He thought it was cocaine. And uh, he would run into... There was a mirror one time, and he thought he'd seen somebody in it, and he ran, and it was a mirror, and it fell on him. I mean, those were crazy times, and I seen my mom, the Al-Anon, kick into gear. You know, I, there was a story I could remember when we were really little, my dad was drinking, and I could remember my mom take, my mom didn't drive, so she had my aunt take us everywhere. And I could remember her telling, we're going to go to where your dad's, the, my dad went to, I guess, four different bars. My mom knew the bars. <laughs> so she would take all of us in the car, and we'd all go into a bar. And she would send my oldest in first, my oldest brother. I have four brothers, no sisters. But at the time, there was just three of us and me. So she sent my older brother in. He wouldn't come out. Ten minutes later, she'd send my other brother in. He wouldn't come out. Before you know it, I was the last one and I was in. And we wouldn't come out. Well, we were having fun. My, or they were giving us money to set the pool table up. I mean... At the time, it was you could do that, right? You could go into bars. Obviously, now it's different. But and my mom would come in, and she'd be the Ellen. Ah! And we decided, well, do we rather want to be with my dad or my mom? Oh, my God, she's crazy. He isn't. <laughs> you know, so this kind of went on for a while. But then when my brother, you know, picked up where my dad left off, I seen, I seen a whole different side of my mom. And then I was 18 at the time, and I was graduating from high school, and I was thinking, I can't do this. I can't live around this anymore. i got to get out of here. So I moved out. My dad came and got me. No, 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 you're only 18. You can't move out. i got to move out. Dang, that house is crazy. <clears throat> but in the process, I, I was dating people I could fix. You know, I was I had that beacon on my head. If you drank a little too much, I I was going to fix you. You know, I would go around dumping the beer they had. Someone drinking vodka, I'd dump it, put water in it. They were too drunk. They didn't know the difference. How they know the difference? Believe me, what's wrong with this cup? So then I was about fast forward. I was about 20 years old, and then I met him, and he was different. So I thought. You know, he doesn't drink. He drinks old duels. 
you know, what does that mean? That means it's non-alcoholic, right? No, he was dumping the old duels and putting the beer in them. But I married him anyways. He didn't have a job. I was going to find him one. <laughs> he didn't have a car. We made sure he got one. He li- I remember he, we, he took me to his house one time and he said, Oh, I'm going to show you my bedroom. <laughs> it was a closet. <laughs> I go, Are you sure? <laughs> and he goes, Yeah, I'm renting this space. But he meant it. That was his closet. He was, and you know what? And I thought, Damn, I'm going to take him out of that closet. I'm going to put him in an apartment. I'm going to take money out of my savings account and I'm going to put him in an apartment. And I did. I put him in an apartment because that's what a good Al-Anon does. You know, I took him out of the closet. So I put him in, I put him in a whole room. You know, and, and God, I have to find a job? Wow, I was, I was a great Al-Anon. And then we had a son. And life was a little more crazier at that moment. You know, it was like he was drinking, and then I was, you can't do this. This is not, you know, I, I, I was raised around this. There's just no way. But then my survival skills kicked in, and I was becoming like my mom, which was flipping scary. You know, and then years would go on, and, and it was really bad. It was really bad. It got violence. He was very... Um, abusive um, I wasn't going to amount to anything you know you're they're not the dirt that I walk on and, and you know and I believed all that I believed it you know wow you know no one's going to want you you have a son who's going to want you you know so I'm I'm the best thing that could happen to you right now and you know it and I believed it because I really believed it and then thought you know I got to get out of this marriage this is really this is not good and I um instead of leaving I get pregnant again mm-hmm. seven years later and I thought this was going to save my marriage you know this is this is going to save my marriage there's no way you know where I'm pregnant I'm gonna we're gonna have another child there's you know there's no way and um it slowly got worse his drinking became more aggressive and and his mouth, that, that tongue, I, I wish I could have chopped it off. Mm-hmm. It became worse, you know. It was just really bad. <clears throat> and then about 40 years after my daughter was born, I, uh, I overlapped my relationship. I don't like to say I cheated because that doesn't sound good. Mm-hmm. I just <laughs> overlapped it because um, I thought that it would be better. There was something out there better, you know, and all that did was complicate things worse. <clears throat> it made it a hell of a lot worse, you know. That was, uh, no, I, I could never do that again, and that never. But uh, I ended up leaving my ex-husband, and after I left him, my son picked up, picked up right where my ex-husband left off, and I became my mom for real. That was a that was really hard for me to believe that my son could be using and drinking. And uh, when I found out he was, he had already been two years into it. Um, I became I don't know who was sicker, the alcoholic or me. I was putting taking doors down, putting doors up, marking the tires on the car, nailing the window shut. Taking the doors and putting the beads on him because if he goes, if he came out and clink, 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 the doors had, the doors had actual aluminum cans. So if he opened him, I heard, oh my gosh, his friends would come in the house, pee in a cup. I don't care. I've seen one, seen them all. Pull it out, pee in a cup. Because if you're using, you're not allowed. No wonder they never came to the house. Shit, who was crazier, me or him? I was checking my son's emails. I was checking his phone. I could remember before I knew he was using that he liked apples. I thought, wow, he's eating apples like crazy. Oh, my gosh, he's eating apples. Four pounds in one week. He was using them for pot. Had I known this, I wouldn't have been buying the kid apples. (laughs) Taking four to school. Wow, he 
I said, wow, he's really taking that one apple a day, keeps the doctor away. He's really taking that to serious, you know, but he used it for drugs. Mm. I didn't know that. I was so naive. So when I finally found out he was using, I brought, I bought a test kit. And I said, you know what are you using? I didn't even, he didn't even have to do it. He looked at me and he goes, yeah, I am. I was like, what? How? Oh my God, how? How could you do this behind my back? First, it became about me. <laughs> how could you do this to me? You, there, you know, forget you, but me. <laughs> and he says, he looks at me and he goes, it's not about you. He goes, you have no idea how it makes me feel. Well, why don't you clue me in? I wanted to know everything he was doing at that point. I was calling the school. I, I would go sit in his classroom. Because I thought that that would make him quit. All it did was make him do it more. He didn't care what I was doing. And I know today that it isn't about me. It isn't about me. We put him in rehab and the lady in there said to me, Have you heard of Al-Anon? What is an, what's an Al-Anon? She goes, just go. I go, well, cool. They're going to tell me how to fix him. I'm there. I go show up, I sit down in the far back of the room, and they're all talking, and everyone's laughing, and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not laughing. I find nothing humorous with what he's doing. And I raised my hand up at the very end of the you know, meeting, and I said, where's the book? And the lady goes, what book? <laughs> On how to fix your alcoholic. She goes, keep coming back. Well, that pissed me off. I got my first <laughs> resentment. That did it. I went back to another meeting. I asked the same question. I thought they were keeping it a secret from me to keep making me come back. I didn't want to keep coming back. Oh, my gosh. I just want to get the clue, and you're just going to show me what I need to do just to get it, just to fix them. And I thought that maybe the rehab would fix them, and he'd come back home all better. Nope. That did not happen. He relapsed a few times, um, three or four times after that. But when I stepped, when I finally stopped listening to my head, I then figured out that, wow, I need this program. I'm, I have 10 minutes more? Okay. That this program has given me the ability to give my son the dignity he needs, to allow myself to stay out of his recovery. His recovery isn't mine. You know, in the very beginning, there's a few people in here that know that I wanted to check on his his meetings. I would call, did you go to your meeting? <laughs> Have you spoke to your sponsor? When's the last time you talked? What step are you on? Oh, my God. No wonder you wouldn't share nothing with me, you know? And now, today, I don't have to do that. I don't have to see who his sponsor is. I don't have to see who he's calling. I don't have to find out. And you know what? And, and honestly... Quite honestly, I don't want to know. I don't know. I don't want to know because the less I know, the better off I am. A year and a half ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And that took me to a whole new world. That took me down a road of uncertainty, and denial. I was right back to denial. But today, I truly believe that I live life one moment at a time. Having that has given me the opportunity to hold. I really stop. I really stop and think today. What am I doing to myself before I do it to you? My higher power plays a big part in this, who I choose to call God. He plays a huge part in my life. Had I not taken care of myself the way I needed to, or would I... It's all about me now. It's got to be. It's got to begin with Josie. It's got to begin with me. You know, I, I got a big taste of humility this week. Learning that uh, I shut people out when I was diagnosed. I didn't want them to know everything. I was scared. You know, and, and I realized that uh, I would have did the same thing the addict did. I ran. I didn't want to face the truth that maybe I needed to face this 
head on with the people that love me. You know, and I, and, I, and I didn't allow the people that love me to come in. And today I, I realize that. And, but I get to move on from it. I don't have to live in the fear and the, you know, and the past. But I don't know. Recovery is awesome right now. I, I'm really enjoying the fact that I have a relationship with my son. I have a great relationship with my father. I love my Al-Anon mom. I have a wonderful marriage. I have my daughter is just, oh my gosh, my little girl. I mean, I've been through battles with my ex-husband. I'm still going through them. I'm still going through them today, 10 years later. Dang, that guy can't leave me alone. But you know what? It's okay. It's really okay. I mean, I... You know, I could have went to jail a couple months ago for contempt of court. <laughs> and in the end, I'm still sitting here. I didn't have to go to jail. You know, thank God for this program. Thank God that all I have to do is shut up and listen. To shut up and listen. My mouth does not need to be running all the time. I don't need to be telling you what you need to be doing. I don't want to say anything I don't have to. And I have to remember that I have a sponsor. I definitely have a higher power. And I have a multitude of friends. This program has given me friends I have never dreamed I would have. Ever. You know, so that's my story. Thank you for letting me share. Jim's turn. My name's Jim, and I'm an alcoholic. Me too. Jim. My sobriety dates December 7th, 1996. Yeah. And um, I want to thank my son and my friend Josie for both their speaking. And, uh, and I want to thank my son for his honesty. And uh, you know, there's things you don't hear, and. Uh, because they don't say anything and sometimes you have to come to a room to really hear but it's really going on in their soul and uh, you can't seem to hear it until you hear it and uh, but uh, my story uh, starts uh, back probably about six years old five six years old actually for a kindergarten um, parents were like my best friend and uh, my mom and dad and uh, we didn't have a whole lot back then, and um, you know we, we lived in an apartment. And my dad worked for Sears, and he worked for this guy doing uh, wash machines and rebuilding stuff. And we moved up here. We lost our house in 1963. I was born in '59, and uh, my parents. We ended up moving back to the valley. He bought his first house up here for thirteen thousand. I had to give it back to the bank because he lost. He couldn't do his. He did side jobs. And that's what helped pay that hundred thirteen dollar mortgage payment a month. You know. And, um, you know, uh, and when I got put in a kindergarten, I'll never forget that. I'd, I thought they I thought they just dropped me off somewhere, and how could they do this to me? And it made my life very, it just made my life very miserable. I'd sit there and cry and cry and cry all day, you know, until they got back, you know. And then I um, moved on from there and, you know, got put into a private school and, uh, second grade and uh, I'll never forget that I couldn't read you ever wanted to be part of something and you couldn't do anything or be part of it you know and the teacher uh, asked me a question I couldn't answer it so they stopped me with a ruler and, and uh, you know and then I you know, came up again and then sat in the corner and you know and the kids would you know, be a little heavier than the rest of the kids and made fun of it recessed and uh, just felt less than just felt real less than and um, and then from then on, and uh, you know, school was really a pain in the ass, you know. And um, I didn't do real good. I figured if I was the teacher's pet, you guys would all like me, you know. So I made that up, and like you know, I got put into the pub, back into the public system, and I think that was third grade. I was the teacher's pet. Well, the teacher liked me, but still nobody else really cared for me, and uh, so I thought. 
and uh, got into fights. I used to go to school, and the guy in the bridge right over there, at, uh, well, we used to go to Plummer Street School, and uh, we crossed that bridge coming across the wash there, and this guy would wait for me every morning to take my lunch money. And uh, he beat the shit out of me and, and take my lunch money, you know, and uh, felt less then, and then me and my brother got, in, you know, in full of fear, full of fear. And uh, backed up through school and uh, got into junior high and, you know, I always wanted to have a girlfriend or something. I never felt part of, couldn't ask him out or anything, felt less than. And, uh, you know, I did good in all my wood shops, my metal shops. I got A's and math I got A's in. And a, you know, I started always out in math and failed. At the beginning of the year, I'd have an A, you know. And, and, uh, but in wood shop and, and uh, metal shop, I had A's and B's, you know. I excelled in those areas, and um, you know, just, uh, I used to have to eat with the ninth graders in eighth grade because I was in a special class. So I, I ended up there, and this one guy, I forget his name, was Jim Hicks, and he used to lay me up against the wall, and he was bigger than me, and, you know. And he lay me against the wall and picked me up off my feet, and every lunch period, I mean, I swear, I swear, every day it was the same thing. And one day he put me up against the wall, and. That was the last time he put me up against the wall. I kicked him as hard as I could, right between the legs, and uh, he never bugged me again. I ran like hell, too. I ran like hell, because I'm afraid he's coming after me. <laughs> he must have been bent over for quite a while, and uh, he never bugged me again. And, uh, you know, and then uh, got uh, graduated in junior high. And all this time, my parents are, you know, we got motorcycles, we think my dad bought this company building plantation shutters in 1968. We would go to work after school, and I would work after, every summer I'd work in the, in the shop, and you know, I was nine years old, and, and you know, we did things, we went camping, we had horses, we packed in the Sears for two weeks at a time. I've done things as kids, me and my own kids haven't done. And I took that, and... Uh, we, you know, and that went on. I showed. I went belonged to 4-H. You know, we raised chickens. Had 100 Royal Land Red chickens. You know, and I, but I'm the kind of guy. You know, you have five horses. You know, and you and you have to go up there and you have to rake the horse manure up and everything. But it was easier to put it in my brother's stall. You know, pick it up and put it in my brother's stall. So he had to pick it up. You know, and today I look at that. God, how stupid could I be? You know, I was going to just put. It, I mean, I'm picking it up anyway. I must have just put it in the wheelbarrow. That's how my alcoholic mind works. You know, you know, somebody's, you know, self-centered. It's all about me. And uh, moved up from there and uh, and got, uh, you know, we, we packed in. And uh, and my mom and dad used to drink, you know, wine, a gallon of wine, you know, the big bottle, you know, wine, cheap, I don't know if it was cheap wine, whatever it was, but we had go-to bags, you know. And we would pack in the Sierras, you know, and I'll never forget my first, my first real time. I got a sip of beer before, but that first real time, you know, and I, I thought it was like Kool-Aid, you know, I drink this stuff. And, you know, my parents follow me two hours later underneath the bush, passed out in a blackout, you know, at 13 years old, you know, and I said, Jesus, you know. And that was my first taste of alcohol. And um, moved up from there, and uh, 17, 18, uh, I got kicked out of high school. I got my last fight, last guy I put in the hospital for two weeks. And uh, he hit me once. I told him he hit me again. You don't want to do that. He hit me again. And then the third time he hit me, I, I told him he hit me one more time. And he hit me one more time. And I picked him up. I took his face and I put it up against the stucco wall. And I drug it 20 feet, took half his face and let him go and went to class. I was into that conversation. And uh, I'm the one that proceeded to get kicked out. Today, what I should have done is I should have went to the principal and told him what was going on instead of taking things into my own hands. You know, I can see where you, in my story you'll see where that's all led me. And uh, you know, and, and uh, kicked out of junior high. So my dad told me that you know I get he come out of the, the dean's office. He thought I should go in the military, and uh, they wouldn't even take me. And uh, and I came out, and my dad told me he said I've given you a trade. You know what you got to do. So I had a job, but you know, remember I told you I've been working since I was nine. I turned 16. I was driving, you know. He owed me retirement at 16. You know. Don't you know who I am? And um, proceeded on with that and uh, just felt that everything was owed to me. You know, we went on a trip and we got the skunk train up in, I think it was Sacramento somewhere. This vacation was supposed to be two weeks in this motorhome. Three days we were home because I made everybody's life so miserable. I got that car to turn around and I got us to come home, that motorhome. And that's how self-centered that I was. And um, 
17, 18, uh, like out of school, go to my friend's house and, you know, they had this, uh, you know, we started going out and I didn't really like the taste of alcohol, but I just, you know, beer and it just seemed like the thing to do, you know, and had two fingers gold and I pick up a bottle of that, you know, and, uh, and we drink. But man, I just didn't like the after effect of that stuff, you know, just like I felt like crap the next day, you know, and, you know, I remember that one night, you know, it just kept doing that thing, but it never got that far affected of really pushing it out there. And in 19, uh, 1980, I was introduced to this white powder called cocaine, and uh, that made the alcohol go real well, you know. <laughs> it just seemed to put a whole new edge on this thing, you know. And, uh, you know, we could drink, and, you know, then we do little slammers with a tequila with a 7-Up in it, and it was fun, and take another couple spoons, you know. This shit was all right. Hey, hey, I see, and you know what? The women like this shit too. It's all good, and um, and that became a, a, a spiral staircase. I met my wife in 191981. My wife was paralyzed from the waist down. I remember, and, and this lady got up and went to work. She worked for the federal government for 24 years before she passed, and um, I married her for all the wrong reasons. And um, six, I knew when I was 12 years old I had a dream I'd marry somebody in a wheelchair. And there she was And um, when I was 22. And uh, I asked her six months after that if she would marry me. And uh, we got together and we told us we'd never have kids. And, you know, 1982, June 5th, we got married. Uh, June of... And... Uh, but things were things were all right, you know. The sex was good, and, and things changed all of a sudden. Six months after that, it just like went away, you know. And I, thought, what the hell happened? And then we got into coke, and then the coke took off. And then I was feeling sorry for myself, and I would start going to things and going places. And next thing, you know, I'm out and running, and uh, you know, uh, all the way up to about 1985 and 1986. I'm going to move this up a little quicker, and. Uh, I was introduced to uh, uh, Freebase, and I had my first hit of Freebase, and I puked everywhere. I said, what the hell would anybody want to do that shit for? You know, just give me my bottle and uh, and uh, thing. And then, um, and then I did it again. And I said, man, that ain't too bad. And then the guy taught me how to really do it right, how to have the Brillo right, everything set in the pipe right, and then I was off and running. And uh, I was doing a... a I'm doing a job, and, uh, you know, this guy, uh, I'm moving way forward here, got into uh, dealing the, the coke and everything. Uh, and uh, the problem is I became my best customer. And, uh, and uh, the alcohol and the drugs and my wife, we used to party together, and then uh, all of a sudden she got pregnant with my first child in uh, 1984, and I'll never forget that where I was going to work and I come out of the house and man, it was like she just got really emotional. I mean, I said I says, I come out of the house and she's crying. I said, Man, every time I say something you're just you're crying, you're upset, and you're getting bigger on top and I says, well, you gotta be pregnant and she says, You know I can't be pregnant and sure enough she went down, she had a pregnancy test and she went down to the women's thing and, and, and came back and she was three months pregnant. And uh and then uh, six months into that, uh, we got into, uh, they told me that I could lose my wife. My wife was paralyzed, remember I told you, and she go if she went into labor, she'd go into hyper blood tension, and, and it would kill her. And if I'm not home, I would lose the baby too. And uh, me and that doctor didn't go around. You know, you're always invited to be in there when your wife's having her kid. Well, I was the guy that was put out on the outside of the room because I was insane, you know, and because um, I wanted my cake and eat it too. And... Uh, but, uh, you know, that moved on. And then my daughter, in those nine months, I, my wife wouldn't let me touch her or be there. And I always felt less than her. I felt like I was pushed out. And then the, when Tony was born, and, you know, and then uh, 1985, uh, July 29th, you know, it was the happiest day of my life. But my, my disease really progressed. You know, the crack came in. The, 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 everything was on and running. And, and uh, this thing had to hold me. And I, and I told my wife, I were, we used one night we were down at her sister's house and this place took me this drug took me and the alcohol took me to dark places and I told her I needed help I can't get clear 
I can't get clear. I can't stop. And uh, she looked in the penny saver, and I went to my first meeting. I came through the doors of Cocaine Anonymous. I went to the meeting that night, and I heard this guy share, and he talked about carpet patrol, you know, about looking for the little crumbs so they could smoke it. And I said, Jesus, I'm, I'm here. I'm there. But, you know, I, I heard that. I thought I had a cocaine problem, but I didn't realize I had an alcohol problem. The thing is, in that 45 days, I drank like a fish, but I wasn't doing coke. And 45 days later, I picked up my drug of choice, and I ended up in a hotel room one more time, locked up for four days, and could not believe I was there. I was powerless over this thing. I mean, I, I couldn't control it. And I came back, came home, told my wife, I beat the sh I, I took myself and I beat the hell out of myself with my own two fists on my chest. I took a shotgun and I put it in my mouth and I proceeded to pull the trigger and my wife called two members from this program from AA to come over and they came over and took the gun from me and took me to a meeting that night. And I went to a meeting that night and you're not supposed to share in your first 24 hours and I shared in my first 24 hours, I shared about what happened and all this and the members coming over and the guy behind me sat there and he shared right after me. It was one of my probably 20th sponsors. You know, he's going to be probably the first one. And he shared out, Jim, I'm glad you didn't blow up your head. Uh, I would have to go home. Jim Blue's house, what's for dinner, dear? You know, and I wouldn't be here today. How selfish I could have been that day. How selfish to leave a kid and a child and everything behind. And um, I went in and out. I had put six, four and a half months together after that. And I went out again because I wasn't willing to do the deal, read the book, do the steps, do what I needed to do to stay here. Then I went, I came back in and the alcohol and drugs drove me back into the rooms and my best thinking sent me back out of the rooms. My, and I had six months. I went back out again and I came back again another 30 days, another 60 days, in and out. And, I mean, I'd sit in a meeting in the chair, hold on the bottom of the chairs. I felt like my fingers were imprinted in the chairs of a meeting. And go out and drink again. The obsession was so great. And I did that from 1987 till um, 1993 of March 8th. And I remember sitting in that room that night and, uh, at the Al and, and old timers meeting at, at the rafters. And I, and I sat in that chair and I just came up there to get 60 days to get the heat off. But something came over me and I sat there and this guy talked to me in the parking lot and Three days later, I'm sitting at old timers meeting, and I sit there, and I and, that, and then I read, "Easy does it. Let go and let God live, and let live." And I sit there, and I told, and I said, "If there's a God out there, I give you my life and my emotions, because my way does not work." And the obsession was lifted just like that. Three and a half years of sobriety goes by. I go through the things and the steps, and but my selfishness and my self-centeredness, I couldn't be with my wife. There was a lot of problems going on there, and. Uh, I ended up, I was trying to get her loaded, and not only did she get loaded, I got loaded. And that was October 31st of 1996. Next thing you know, I'm off and running to the races again. I'm locked up in the room again on the weekends and trying to control it one more time. And, and, and next thing you know, uh, I'm missing work this time. I've never missed work before. You know, this was bad. And uh, my dad... Thank God he said what he said. You know what? If you're not here tomorrow, because it was uh, three weekends in a row have this happen. And he says, you're not here tomorrow? Just lose my fucking number. Get the hell out of my life. I don't want to hear from you. It could have been the best words he could have said that day. I went to a friend's house. that had 18 years of sobriety. I walked into his living room, and I said, we're doing a side job together. And I says, I said, Craig, I says, I, I, I got a problem. He says, what's going on? I says, I've been drinking. And, and, and he goes, well, well, is it any better? And I says, hell no. I'm going to be sitting in your damn living room if it's any better. <laughs> I understand that question today. And um, and he told me about this old timers this meeting over here at the fire at the church. And uh, over out by, by El Presidente, I went to that meeting that night. Of, uh, in, like I said, my sobriety dates December 7th, 96. And I went in that meeting, and I wanted to tell those people. Because before, remember, I told you, I went in and out. I never wanted to stand up my first 30 days. And I sat there and I went into that meeting that night and they changed the format because I wanted to stand up. I understood what that meant. I sat there and, I, and, and, and they changed the format. I said, God, I said, for once in my life I want to stand up and tell these people my ass is falling off and I need help. And, and, and all of a sudden this little, this little voice came down. Nobody said you couldn't raise your hand and still stand up, Jim. And I did. 
I was humbled one more time. The door opened one more time. And um, from December '96, I, I went to a lot of did meetings and all that, and I got you know I went through the program. In 1999, 2000, my wife was diagnosed with cancer, and she fought for her life for four years. My wife was five ten and a half. She weighed 65 pounds when she passed away, January 25th of 2004. And I watched that lady. I slept on the couch for the last two years, and I watched that lady whittle to nothing, and hearing her cry at night. And um, the night she passed away, I went up to the room, and the hospice was in there, and and there, and her brothers and her sisters all showed up because that that last Monday before she passed away, I I sat there and I cried on the edge of the tub. I said, God, I says my baby's hurting, and, and and you just send your angels. Little did I know it was going to be her eight brothers and sisters later that day. And um, <laughs> they wanted to put her back in the hospital. And I made a, I made a promise to her that because she'd been paralyzed. And remember, she'd been in and out of the hospital a lot. And, and uh, I promised her. And the one sister comes and says, we want to put her in the hospital. And says, well, I don't think that's going to happen. And she says, well, we're going to. I says, you know, not over my dead body. And uh, I was very peaceful about it. And, and you said, this were not your sister's wishes. You know, and, and he said, well, can we ask, you know, the one sister just got really belligerent. I had to ask her to leave my house. She was just upset. You know, she was trying to look for a sister's thing. And I was very peaceful with that. Don't ask me how I was peaceful that day, but I was. And I went upstairs and Debbie goes, what's going on down there? You know, you know my wishes. I says, done, honey. That's done. I went back downstairs. That was on a Monday. Thursday night. Everybody came by to say the thing, and I didn't realize it because she's always come back from the dead, you know, this lady. And this time it was different. And at 11.30 that night, I walked in, I laid up in that room, and I, and I told her, I says, it's all right for you to leave. I says, I've grown up enough, and I was seven years clean. And, um, and uh, I could take care of me and the kids. Little did I know what I said after hearing Kyle's story. And, uh, but uh, she... I went and laid in the other room. About 45 minutes later, she passed away. You know, she knew she, everything was going to be all right. And uh, my youngest uh, was, you know, six. The one sitting next to me. My other one was eight years old, and my other one was 18 years old. And uh, my oldest one was graduating from high school, and we were in the middle of high school year. And uh, we, uh, she passed away. There was 250 at the one memorial, and then she worked for the VA hospital for 24 years. And we had another 250 people that showed up at that memorial. And uh, she touched a lot of people. And, uh, and she touched me. And uh, she, uh, you know, you, you, you think you know a lot. You know, I thought I was protecting my kids by not bringing them around the program a lot, you know, in AA. And that's where I got sick. The only thing I didn't do is pick up a drink. And as Kyle says, we showed back up in the rooms because I was doing one or two meetings maybe every couple months. That wasn't working out real well. Today I, today I do 7 to 12 meetings a week. I live in meetings. I work there. I have sponsees today. I do things differently today. I am not running the show today. Kyle kind of shared what he shared. That's how I was running the show. It wasn't working out. It made a disaster. I have two beautiful other children one is 17 that wants to run the show tell me how it's done tell me how much I'm an idiot and is pregnant today I have a 26 year old that's sitting there with my two grandbabies that I'm so powerless over and on Suboxone and she thinks this is all right and nothing worse to watch your own kid dying in front of you on a daily basis and you're so powerless, and you know that God has to have this today. And the gal that the cow was sharing about the ex is in jail today. God's got her where she needs to be. He is doing for her and for me what I couldn't do for myself. And, um, you know, this disease wants me dead. This disease wants me dead. And... Two of my kids are afflicted with it, my oldest ones, the oldest, oldest, and the middle one. And um, my son here is my saving grace. He's like an old soul. He's the one that drug us to those meetings when we first. 
and the lady sitting in a chair before that, her daughter saved my family's life. In 2009, 2010, we heard, I heard the message of Alentine right there. And I knew, Jesus, it's not all about me. <laughs> it's not all about me, you know. And, and the gift that I have today, that I have hope. I have faith. And I know when I'm running the show, it doesn't work. I have enough of that to prove. And, um, good song. And, uh, but, uh, you know, for, if, if you're new in the rooms or you, you've been around, um, I want to thank everybody for being here because uh, I can't do it alone. This is not, uh, uh, being a Lone Ranger, my, my son pretty much called how that was working out for me. You know, wasn't working at all. And, uh, you know, I needed to hear what he said today because I've never heard that much out of him. You know, and, uh, and I'm grateful that he shared what he shared. I needed to hear that. And, you know, and uh, to see the other Alateens in this room, you know, I mean, welcome. You know, and uh, this is the disease, and the disease wants me dead. And, I, and I'll tell you, that little girl that's 26 today, I'll share this and I'll shut up, would sit there at five years old, and her mother would be in the hospital, or not even five, two years old, and this is 1980, 1986, 1987, right before I hit the rooms, and sit there and want to shake me, because Daddy was coming too, and she's sitting in crappy diapers, no milk, Dad's passed out on the couch, and all she wanted was to eat and have her diaper changed, and I couldn't do that. And you think it would be the needle to pierce my heart to keep me sober one day at a time for the rest of my life, and I couldn't even do that. It took what it took, and it took to be humbled where I'm standing today, and thank you for letting me share. Oh, wow. Yep, now, sir. Yep, now, sir. Yep, now, sir. Yep, now, sir. Yep, now, sir.